third week of our current message series for the Lenten season, taking a look at the place healing has in the Christian life. In the first week, we uncovered three truths, perhaps three surprising truths about healing. First truth, we are, all of us, broken in various ways, and in various ways we live in a broken world, which means we are all of us in need of healing. Second truth, healing was core and critical to Jesus' ministry, message, and mission. Along with preaching and teaching, it's what he did. He came to bring healing to broken bodies, broken hearts, broken spirits, broken relationships to the broken world, which means he came to bring healing to you and me. Third truth, as with all aspects of the Christian life, the reality of divine healing is shrouded in mystery. We really don't know how it works. There's certainly no formula to it. It requires faith if it's going to happen at all. Divine healing and faith go together. Last week, we dug deeper into that first truth, looking at how having wounds is just a part of the human condition. Physical, emotional, relational, mental, spiritual wounds are simply a reality as a result of original sin and as a consequence of personal sin. Some of our wounds are shallow. Others are deep. Some are old and familiar. Others are fresh and raw. There are among us those who are struggling with a debilitating diagnosis or suffering from chronic pain, they are physically wounded. Others bear emotional wounds like anger or anxiety, spiritual wounds like doubt or despair, self-inflicted wounds, especially through our own selfishness. And then then there are wounds that are imposed on us from loss or grief. There are wounds of the heart, and they're the deepest wounds of all. The question is not whether you have wounds in life. The question becomes, what do you do with the wounds you most certainly have? How do you handle them? Ultimately, there are two and only two choices relying on ourselves or relying on the Lord. Relying on ourselves, we can expect only limited success at best. Relying on the Lord holds unlimited possibilities. Jesus Christ came to renew and restore everything that's been broken, 
Elsewhere in Scripture, he says, Behold, I come to make all things new again. He came to restore all things to their intended wholeness. That means he came to heal you and make you whole. But for that to happen, of course, we have to acknowledge our need for healing. And then there's another step. And that's what we're going to look at briefly today. It comes in a single simple instruction that we read in the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. You know, in his public ministry, Jesus always had lots and lots of people around him, the crowds of curious celebrity seekers, his many, many friends and followers, dozens of disciples, and then there were the 12 apostles. And within the 12, Jesus had a special relationship with three, Peter, James, and John. Here, he takes them up a mountain to pray with him, and in prayer, they experienced this wondrous event. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. On the mountaintop, Jesus was transfigured. What does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus Christ was fully divine and fully human. But his divinity was hidden, except in this instance. His divinity shines through his humanity, appearing with the monumental Old Testament figures of Moses and Elijah, a scene dazzling and overwhelming for Peter, James, and John. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Listen to him. The Father affirms that Jesus is his beloved Son. This is, in fact, the second time in the Gospels the Father expresses his pleasure and delight in Jesus. The first time came in his baptism before Jesus launched his public ministry. Now, towards the end of that ministry, in the shadow of the cross, the Father affirms his Son once again, here in front of his closest friends, giving them this incredibly simple instruction, listen to him. Matthew continues, when the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus. It is a theophany, a kind of incredible open the heavens moment where the presence of God is palpable and, power and powerful. And it comes to an end as quickly as it appears. It's a glimpse, but just a glimpse of eternity. Maybe you haven't exactly experienced a theophany, but perhaps you've had some special or even extraordinary moment, in a sense, your mountaintop experience. Sometimes, for some people, not for all, but for some people, sometimes God uses mountaintop events in our faith life. 
He uses them to strengthen us and encourage us in our faith. He can give us fuel to keep us going through difficulties or hardships or as we head into some special challenge. And that's what's happening here. This wondrous event helped encourage Peter, James, and John, especially in view of the fact that their faith would be shaken to the core at Jesus' crucifixion. But eventually, mountaintop experiences, however powerful, come to an end. They always come to an end. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, do not tell this vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Over and over again, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die, that he was going to the cross and he was going to suffer and die, and then he would be raised from the dead. But they didn't listen. They never understood what he was talking about. Why? Because they had a preconceived notion of who Jesus was. They were looking for a political leader, political leader who would lead a revolt against the Roman oppressors. And that's who they thought Jesus was. So whenever he talked about his coming death and resurrection, they tuned out. They paid no attention whatsoever. Until Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, they couldn't understand his message or his mission. Anyway, the transfiguration, which is what this event is called, is meant to show us the connection between Christ's humiliation and his glory. It foreshadows both his passion and his resurrection. Think about it. The, the transfiguration perfectly parallels the passion. In both, he invites Peter, James, and John to join him. In both, he climbs a mountain. In both, he's lifted up between two other men. But there are also remarkable contrasts. At the transfiguration, all is light. At the crucifixion, darkness covered the earth. At the transfiguration, Jesus' clothes become dazzling white, white as light. At the crucifixion, he is stripped. At the transfiguration, he is between two heroes. At the crucifixion, he is lifted up between two criminals. At the transfiguration, Jesus reveals his hidden glory. At the crucifixion, he is publicly humiliated. These parallel yet starkly contrasting events underscore two basic spiritual insights of our faith. First insight, God can use our wounds. God can use our wounds. They are not meaningless. Through the cross, Jesus won an incredible victory. Now he is the name above every other name. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Lord. The ultimate end of his woundedness is an incredible victory. The same can be true for us. Any wound, every wound that you experience is not the final word on who you are. The wounds you suffer don't have to define you. God's desire, God's plan for your wounds is to use them for your benefit. Now, please hear me. I am not saying that God causes 
your wounds. I am not saying that. I am saying that the infinite genius of God is that he can use your wounds for your benefit. Second insight. Jesus willingly lays down his life for us to take it up again. What does that mean? Well, if he didn't die, we couldn't live. If he wasn't wounded, we couldn't be healed. Jesus is the wounded healer, which is why we can reliably listen to him. It's always annoying, isn't it, to hear people who don't know what they're talking about talk. Their advice is largely useless, if not misleading, because it's not based in experience. You can listen to the Lord because he knows what he's talking about. He knows the truth of your wounds because he knows the truth of his wounds. He felt the mental anguish of knowing ahead of time just what and how he would suffer on the cross. He felt physical pain as he was crowned with thorns, scourged with whips, and his nails were driven into his hands and feet. He experienced the emotional wounds of abandonment when his friends and followers fled, and he had to witness the agony of his own mother at the foot of the cross. Most of all, he felt spiritual pain as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, feeling the full weight of those sins. Jesus offers wisdom and direction because he experienced every hurt and heartache that we will ever feel. And he overcame them through the resurrection. As a consequence, healing comes from an encounter with the Lord, an encounter in which we listen to him. So we need to learn to listen or become better at listening because he healed so many people in so many different ways. Sometimes he spoke words of consolation. Sometimes he spoke words of mercy and forgiveness. Sometimes he extended a healing touch. Every healing was different. Same for you. Same for me. Every healing is different because every wound is different. Your wounds are unlike mine or anybody else's. They develop, developed under unique conditions and circumstances. So your healing will be entirely unique for you too. That's why real healing and wholeness comes in our relationship with the Lord. And if we're not listening and looking and learning, we could miss out on what he's doing entirely. You know, Jesus is not some anonymous impersonal force. He is not a good luck charm or a genie in the bottle. He is not an insurance policy or our court of last resort. He is a person. He is a person who is human and divine. As a man, he knows what you're going through. And as God, he can actually do something about it. Through the course of this series, we're offering different kinds of opportunities to experience healing each weekend. Today, after Mass, we're going to offer Eucharistic adoration right here in our main sanctuary at the altar. We'll end Mass differently today. We'll end Mass quietly 
and simply. And then, perhaps, if you have time, you can take a moment or more to kneel in prayer before the Lord, who is really present in the exposed Eucharist. It's an opportunity to, to stay in the presence of the Lord and to bring to Him your woundedness, to share with Him how your heart is hurt today. And then, take a moment to listen to Him. His Eucharistic presence is a healing presence to heal your heart. It can really heal your heart. The Lord wants a personal relationship with you. It's true. And here's the thing. He wants a growing relationship with you. Where it is right now, that's not where he wants it to be. He wants a growing relationship with you. He wants to grow in intimacy with you. And often, that can happen most effectively, precisely through our wounds. It's actually our wounds that can be a part of an incredible exchange that we can have with the Lord. Thanks for watching. Be sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples by sharing this video. We're grateful that you're part of this community.